Welcome to the Future Print Podcast, celebrating print technology and the people behind it. Welcome to the Future Print Podcast. We have a, a new Future Print partner. We're really delighted to have Hamamatsu Photonics um, join us for the Future Print Tech event. But um, today I'm talking to Kane Talbot, who heads up uh, Hamamatsu Photonics for specifically the printing um, industries. Um, and I believe, Kane, you're based in the UK. Is that correct? Yes. So um, I'm based in the UK, just north of London in Welling Garden City. So um, just give a yeah. bit of background about my, myself yeah. before we go into Hamamatsu and all the things we do. Um, so I have a background in physics. So I studied at Loughborough University and graduated seven years ago now. <laughs> I don't have mm, been yeah. at Hamamatsu ever since. Um, time flies, really. Um, So at Hamamatsu, then I work as a field sales engineer, uh, essentially, within our industrial applications group. So Mm -hmm. I I have multiple hats, as as it were. One of the ones that I I have a real focus on is the um, printing markets. So for printing and curing applications specifically, because we provide a range of solutions across this process. So whilst I'm a sales engineer, my role, as well as the sales side of things, is actually to engage with the market and work as the link between our guys in Japan who do the development and R&D work and the customers to really, you know, look into what the market wants and then try and provide that from our side. Brilliant. And, and Hamamatsu is a is a, a place I've actually been to, actually. It's in Japan, isn't it? It's near Mount Fuji. It's not that far from Tokyo. Is that correct? Is that right? Yeah. It's about sort of halfway between Tokyo and Kyoto on the Shinkansen bullet train. Yeah. It's about yeah. a couple of hours from Tokyo, if memory serves. It's been a few years since I've been, but it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lovely place. Yeah, yeah, quite amazing. So tell us a bit about Hamamatsu, the backstory and so on, how it came about as a business and, and so on. Yeah. Well, it started back in sort of 1953, uh, if I remember rightly, and it came out of making sort of TV tubes and things like that. You imagine, you know, the old TVs that were using sort of cathode ray tubes and things like that. So mm. it was electron tubes for that. And then from that, we developed photo tubes and other similar products to that. Um, and basically, the business was developed with the dream of linking optical technologies with the industry of the time. And then, of course, that has developed uh, since then. And the goal of the company then, even now, is to kind of utilize our research to develop new products with the aim of challenging not only the now, but the future. So we work a lot with academia and that kind of thing to, you know, help them with their developments and hopefully create new future industries. Mm, yeah, it's amazing. So I guess from where it started to what you're doing now, it's evolved. But is the principal technology doing a similar thing to what it was initially set up to do? For that kind of product, yeah, we've diversified yeah. over the years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the philosophy we've had through the companies, you know, been mm. relatively stable throughout its history. You know, we're mm. constantly looking to engage with customers directly as I say, not just in the now, but also in the future to yeah. develop the tools that they'll need to expand. Um, mm. And sometimes that's, sometimes they have an idea of where the market's going to go in the future. And sometimes we look at developments and go, okay, actually we you know, expect that maybe the market will move in this direction or we expect mm. we'll need this kind of functionality in the future. 
Mm-hmm. So this starts from, you know, working on these challenges when they're very fresh ideas all the way through to adopting them for sort of larger scale production in industry. Yeah, interesting. And um, I guess, obviously, we met, I hinted already, obviously, you're involved with Future Print, so you obviously serve the printing industry. But what kind of markets does Hamamatsu serve, really? Why, I, I, I guess... Well, I'm, well, I've heard of Hamamatsu as a place. Why is it not so well? Why are you not perhaps so well known to me and to, to the printing industry? Well, I think it just comes from the sheer amount of markets we're, you know, we're mm. in more than anything. You know, across, Hamamatsu as a company uh, has about, yeah. you know, 15,000 products or so live yeah. at the moment. That's not yeah. historical. Yeah. That's what we're selling right now. So... Yeah. You imagine this covers so many different applications. So you're talking yeah. you know, hundreds of applications across any kind of optical uh, industry that you can think of. So this covers, you know, medical diagnoses. So we have equipment that um, a good example is, you know, our Nanazuma products, which are for sort of cancer diagnosis and things like that so to help, you know, increase the speed mm. of that to pharmaceutical development. So, you know, mass production of drugs and things like that. And mm. to, you can use different optical techniques to really enhance this process to give people individual doses for their particular needs. Mm. And then moving into the industrial sector where I live uh, mm. is x-ray inspection optical communication and even environmental analysis you see all this in the news about you know all all these water problems that we're having as you know in the uk at the moment then as you can imagine there's lots of people looking to detect what's actually in that and you can use a lot of different optical techniques to do that Mm, interesting and with with the printing space in particular um what does the technology enable and what are the kind of USPs over perhaps some of the other providers in the market? Mm. So I, I guess to, to answer that, I have to go back a step a, a little bit and just explain why maybe we're not so well known in that space, which you mentioned before. Mm. Um, so generally, Hamamatsu's expertise lies in sort of the development of optical emitters and detectors Um, Mm. because we're often working within OEM equipment and we do a lot of customization work. I mean, you're talking, you know, probably close to half our global business is probably customizing, say, in some way, you Mm. know, and this often means that we're kind of hidden within uh, different systems. So it's probably that you won't see us on the outside because we're on the inside somewhere. And mm. as you can imagine, there's a number of products that you probably use in your day-to-day life that we are in, but you would never mm. know it unless you actually mm. took it to pieces or you're involved in the building of mm. that. Mm. So it, particularly in the printing space, then we have products for UV LED, excimer emission, um, and we've had these for quite a long time, you know, over a decade, but they've been focused on other application areas. So, for example, then the UVLED technology was more focused on adhesive curing in sort of, you know, optical fiber manufacture and things like that. Um, so these products are being repurposed and retooled for the printing market specifically, but it's not that we don't have the expertise to do that. It's just mm. we've been focused on other areas in the past and mm, as, as mm. these are bit the technologies are becoming more relevant to the printing market then we've kind of reached out to that market to um, mm. you know 
provide these and develop them in a way that our customers need. Yeah, so you're really at a kind of exciting point when you're looking at the printing industry. You've got the, t- the requisite technology available, expertise available, experience and infrastructure, and it's like, well, we can make a difference now in the printing industry. Let's um, begin that process of of telling people about our story and what what the possibilities are. What what kind of um, like I mentioned before, what what, what advantages would would the Hamamatsu technology provide an OEM? I guess. Um, just trying to understand what might distinguish your technology and your business from perhaps other providers in the market. Which is a very good question because there's a lot of providers in this particular market, especially when you're looking at UV LED and things like that. Mm. There's so many different companies offering on the face of it, very similar solutions. Mm. Um, So as I mentioned, we've been developing this for quite a while, but the, as a Japanese company, then often our products are initially focused at the Japanese market. Um, and especially if we're going into a market that we're not necessarily so prevalent in, then they, t- they do an iterative process where they really want feedback from the initial customers they get. They want to develop based on what they're doing rather than as saying, here is a product, <laughs> this is how you use it. It's, mm. okay, here's a product, how do we make this work for you? Mm. So... We've been basically developing these products to solve some challenges that they were facing. And then probably about five years ago, then we properly started pushing into the European market. And now we're kind of developing based on the feedback from that stage of the process, um, Mm. as it were. So we've got some new products coming out that are based off this feedback. And now we're trying to sort of branch out a bit, you know, even further and Mm you know, continue this process of innovation and iteration to mm. s- solve some of the problems that our customers are having. And hopefully, you know, their customer, their problems are probably mirrored across, you know, uh, the market as it was. Yeah, I guess it's um, really understanding the trends and challenges, like you said, the problems really, and, and how mm-hmm. the technology can serve to provide a solution. And, and you're right, there'll be, there are going to be clear trends and changes that will fit the uh, tech perfectly i would imagine have you got any um perhaps good examples of this process you can share yeah yeah so i think uv led is probably the the main place to start because that's where the big the big developments recently have happened so Mm. you know we we've had this for a number of years uh, this kind of technology and you know We've been looking at a couple of particular pain points uh, of our customers' development work, and we've sort of innovated and patented some new technologies to hopefully improve the performance and reliability of their um, printing processes and, by extension, others that we speak to in the future. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, it's, solving problems, I think, is a brilliant way of, of, of articulating really where innovation has a role to play in in any industry so solving problems absolutely agree um so far what is the most common kind of pain point that you've identified yeah. so there's a couple but um one i'll start on is um mm. in in the printing industry then at uv leds up until a few years ago we're getting more powerful and more powerful and more powerful um and you get to a ceiling with air-cooled uh, LEDs where 
you know, customers that want to either have a higher throughput, you know, they want to move faster or um, they, they want more power. For maybe they're doing Flexo or some other similar kind of, um, you know, fast speed printing. Um, they're often forced to add extra cooling equipment because then above a certain power level, you have to go to sort of water cooling to ensure that there's consistency in the curing performance. So to explain the background to this, then the output from LEDs can be increased as long as we can keep their temperature low <clears throat> because thermal damage is one of the main factors limiting the lifetime of these LEDs, you know, uh, which is very important for OEMs, or, you know, over a period. Um, water-cooled UV LEDs have a higher output than air-cooled UV LEDs because the water-cooling system can handle these higher heat loads better than, a, than an air-cooling system can. But as I say, you need more equipment and there's an extra burden on the end customer to do this. So our engineers have been focusing on improving our air cooling system of our UV LEDs, mm. which resulted in a new product that we call the GH103A, which is the brightest air-cooled UV LED on the market. Mm. Um, to give you an idea of how they did this, then there's a few stages to it, but firstly... They used some internal thermal analysis technology to analyze the cooling out of the products that we had that existed. And we combined these with the evaluation data we had, not just internally, but externally with um, our customers' data. And this, this analysis and then being able to do modifications and then rerun the analysis allows us to very quickly uh, develop new prototypes and things like that to really push the development quickly. Um, and the particular emphasis for this was on the airflow of the devices. So we developed a proprietary cooling structure that we called Sylphy Air, which essentially it takes in the air on the edges of the product and then vents the hot air out through the center. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So with our UV LEDs, if you're doing, you know, wider format printing, then you often have to daisy chain them together because they're about, you know, 100 mil or so wide. So you want maybe three for a narrow web and then maybe more if you're doing wider web printing. Um, and if you do this daisy chain op um, operation, what we found with the initial testing is at the boundary between two devices is you actually got a lot more heat buildup there because of where the outer casings were touching um, because the hot air was getting pushed past through there and then you were getting extra um, heat passed through the touching of the two parts. And what this means is the LEDs at those boundaries get hotter which means the performance is different to that in the middle. And then you get a slightly different cure, which depending on your printing process can either be a no problem at all, or can be a major problem depending on, you know, the speeds you're working at, the inks you're working with and all the other individual factors that, you know, split someone's process. Um, so the second stage to this as well as sort of guiding the air in this process is to make that hot air going out the middle ins firmly insulated from the outside of the device so that the outside is perfectly cool and it you know, doubly helps with that issue I was explaining a second ago. Um, 
And then finally, we've developed the heatsink itself is actually specifically designed for this kind of application. So we've, it's not an off-the-shelf heatsink. Mm. It's a special material, um, and it's built in a way to really help with the UV LED technology. And we think, um, or at least the next stage of development, is to actually shrink this uh, heatsink down, which in theory... Um, will allow us to either reduce the size of the current device, which is 24 watts per centimeter squared, which is, you know, quite high power for this kind of system. Um, Or, you know, we can keep it the same size, but increase the power in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's just when you're talking about power, and obviously the world we're living in at the moment, energy prices are high and um, supposedly coming down but they're, they're still a concern aren't they is is that is this enable some efficiencies there as well or is it more about performance that you're concerned with hmm. i mean it, it can it depends what you're comparing it to i suppose um so mm-hmm. you know if you're comparing it to a uv lamp or something like mm-hmm. that, then, you know, um, an LED system is going to give you advantages on a sustainability point of view. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're very long lifetime and um, they also use a lot less power comparatively, mm-hmm. e- even with the higher power, um, uh, you know, LEDs uh, and things like that. Now, with an LED to LED systems, then there's a couple of ways of looking at that, I think. Um you have the fact, okay, it's more powerful than other LED systems, so you you may use more power from that point of view. Um, but with some of the other things that I'm sure we'll go into in a minute, um, you can increase the throughput. And if you increase the throughput, then actually maybe that balances out because you're getting more printing done, mm. Um, mm. you know, in the same amount of time. So... <clears throat> Yeah, no, interesting. So, 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 yeah. What you're saying is, you're looking at the bigger picture. It 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 enables better performance and 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 can lead to um, efficiencies as well. So, obviously, it's awesome to hear about you sort of putting or I'm actually putting innovation, I guess, at the forefront to accommodate for these cooling processes. Are there any other challenges you might have recognised that recognised that that um, you think your technology is that can actually help with? Hmm. Yeah. So. Whilst, to, to be honest, we've been more focused on inkjet developments, this is a problem that we've seen across multiple kinds of industries mm-hmm. and anyone who's using sort of UV inks and uh, things like that, is that um, when you're printing using UV inks, the cured coating can sometimes have a sticky surface if it's not quite cured enough. And so it's surface tack, basically. Um so this is caused by um, oxygen inhibition of the ink, which basically prevents polymerization process of the cure, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure anyone who's working with inks knows you know, a, a lot more than I do about that. But mm-hmm. principally, then, the you can get around this inhibition by um, <laughs> either using a traditional UV lamp because the broadband lamps are, allow you to cure at different wavelengths. Mm. Um, which means you get a cure at the surface and in the bulk of the material. But with an LED, then you you, you restrict it to, okay, it might say three, six, five nanometers, but even, and it'll have a little bit of wiggle room on that, but it's probably only going to be four or five nanometers either side, probably maybe 10 at most, depending on the manufacturer or supplier. Um, 
so often you then have to kind of purge it with a, a gas such as nitrogen or something like that. Um, now, this can be a problem, um, especially if you want your system to be more compact or so you've got space restrictions, because if you imagine you want to inert a whole atmosphere, then often you have to build a box around that particular section of your printer. You have to be able to exhaust the gas out and all, you know, all this kind of thing. So it adds a lot of cost. It adds a lot of expense. Um, and you need quite a lot of nitrogen to, to you know, get this system going. So we, we looked at that and it was, okay, how can we make this process work for our customers? How can we reduce the size of this? How can we, you know, maximize the efficiency of it? So we developed a system that we call HANTS. So there's a few ways that this is very different to what's out there or what's been out there previously. Um, firstly, then, essentially, it has two blocks that fit onto our UV LED unit. So the first of these is a, a tapered block. Mm. Um, and this fits on the top, basically at the front. So if you imagine the you know the printer coming through it's the first point of the led that it sees so you feed a, sm a small amount of nitrogen through there and its tapered structure accelerates it out the front so this gives you two advantages the first one of these is that it acts as a kind of wall air wall as it was to mm. stop any oxygen any stray ink that kind of thing from getting under the cure uh, curing point and if you've got stray ink and that then oh, <laughs> you'll get a splatter and things, things like that mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is it feeds it then under the window directly mm. and and it, we, we have a, another couple of blocks on the side which kind of hold the nitrogen under the window and prevent it from leaking out into the rest of the system before a uh, block at the end, which removes it from the other side. So rather than having having to have you know a container around the entire system, you then contain the area mm. where the nitrogen inerting process happens to just under the window and nowhere else. So, it, you know, a flow rate of 20, 27 liters a minute can accommodate feeding speeds of up to around 150 meters per minute while still effectively purging the area. Um, mm. So we hope that this can actually not only help with the tacking process, but can also potentially help increase printing speeds in particularly in the inkjet uh, space. Oh, yeah. It sounds very, really clever stuff. So. <laughs> On that note, then, you'll be joining us in Cambridge, and we've got a great program building there, and we're expecting a fantastic number of people to come from the, the world of printing technology development. What, what what kind of people are you keen to meet and collaborate with? Because obviously that's an opportunity to sort of say, we've got this awesome technology. We think it's got a big role to play in the printing industry, many industries. So obviously the theme is digital print for manufacturing. Um, what kind of people are you keen to meet and collaborate with? So uh, at the moment, then, our sort of key focus is sort of the inkjet printing market, um, mm. particularly uh, OEM printing manufacturers and things like that. So we want to really engage with as many people as possible, evaluate mm. the technology and 
again, that feeds back into our philosophy of getting as much information back. You know, mm. if it works for you, fantastic. We can we can help you with that. If it doesn't, what changes need to be made? How can we help you specifically? Um, so I'll be joining in. So it'll be myself who'll be joining from Hamamatsu, and I'll be talking in a bit more detail on some of the stuff I've mentioned today. Um, but basically we're happy to talk to anyone who's interested in this kind of technology, you know, but as I say, there is a focus on sort of inkjet and things like that. Um, so we we really want to collaborate, uh, you know, rather it's Mm. not a, we want to, here's a lamp, go take that lamp. It's a, come and test it. Let's see how Mm. we can collaborate, work together and make it work for you personally, rather than, you know, lots of different people just so, work for you yeah yeah so do you ever create a product to say there you go you have to work with that you're kind of keen to to fine-tune it so that it really does hit the mark for whatever the um, specific issue or problem is um that sounds awesome and with um obviously the fact that people are listening to the podcast they're probably thinking oh sounds interesting there's a few of them and I'll, I'll be keen to have a follow-up chat perhaps how um how are people getting in contact with you? Have you got a website or an email address you might want to share? So you can always find anything Hamamatsu at say hamamatsu.com or hamamatsu.co.uk if you're, you're in the UK. Um, there's applications pages for the printing processes uh, on there that has some general information. Um, either that or you can contact our office directly uh, in Welling Garden City, and the details for that will be on uh, the website as well. Or you can reach myself directly because any inquiries you do make will come through to me anyway. Um, and that's at ktalbert at hamamatsu.co.uk. ktalbert at hamamatsu.co.uk. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks for joining us, Kane. We're really delighted to have you at Hamamatsu part of the event and part of Future Print. Looking forward to your talk at the event. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us today and um, yeah, excited to be working with you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe now for more great audio content coming up and visit futureprint.tech for the latest news, partner interviews, in-depth industry research and to catch up on content from Futureprint events. We'll see you next time on the Futureprint podcast.